Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to a new edition of Terry's Talking Podcast. David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, alongside Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. How you doing, Terry? Good I am you. well, David. Good. I wanted to ask you, I grew up in Chicago, so the Yankees rivalry against the Indians back in the day was not part of my childhood. But mm-hmm. I just happened to see, I don't know if you saw this, but a flawless Mickey Mantle rookie card sold uh, within the last few days for a record $12.6 million. It's the most expensive sports card ever sold. That beat out a Hannes Wagner card that sold for $7.25 million before. And, yeah, I just um, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, how did you feel about Mickey Mantle as a kid? I mean, was he kind of the guy you hated on the other team? Were you kind of – did you admire him because of uh, what he could do? My dad always said he was the best two-way player he ever saw. It's funny, unlike a lot of Cleveland fans, I didn't have this big anti-Yankee thing other than, um, I mean, you knew they were good, you knew your team wasn't, but uh, it wasn't like the legendary talk show host, Pete Franklin, when he came to town, you know, I hate the Yankees, and he used to give out a promotion every year with, the, I hate the Yankee Hankies, and it seemed for a while that, you know, Cleveland would send Chris Chambliss to the Yankees for four guys that nobody could remember who they are. Rusty Torres, I remember, was one in the trade like that. And um, <laughs> there were the two pitchers, if you remember, that had the family wife swaps, Mike Kekic and Fritz Peterson. When, and both Wait of those, a minute, what? They did. They traded uh. families. You could look it up. And older fans remember this. And later on, they both kind of um, passed their way through Cleveland. All right. I'm just telling you, it's a it's a fact. No, I believe it. Leaving any anything out. Um, So the Yankees at the old stadium, that's one of the things that they would give them a crowd. Now, here's an interesting thing, David. That when they were talking about expanding from two to three divisions in each league, and the marketing department of the Indians at the time, this is when Dick Jacobs owned them, wanted. Jacobs not to go into the new central division. They said, stay in the East because at least we'll have crowds when the Yankees in Boston come to town. And Jacobs said, and at least we'll lose to Boston and the Yankees all the time. Why don't we go into a division 
with teams that are more in our area. You know, the White Sox would have been the only big market team. You know, the rest was Kansas City and, <clears throat> excuse me, Detroit, et cetera. So uh, he pushed for that. And it was a decision, I really believe, that uh, helped change the course of baseball here. Yes, Tampa Bay kind of finds their way to contend in that East, but it's a it's a nightmare for a mid-market team. Meanwhile, you know, the, the Indians slash Guardians have been very good in the Central for what, since really since 94. The strike year they started to contend. Yeah, I just um, – I'm always interested to hear kind of old Yankee – we used to come here to visit in the summers when I was living mm -hmm. in Chicago and we would drive by the ballpark when the Yankees were in town and it was, there were 70,000 people and the sky would be lit up at night. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing. I'd never heard of 70,000 people at a baseball game before. I but. know that. Well, in my perception, cause I'm really young now, I want to say the first baseball game I remember going to with my dad was in 1961 when Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle were going for Babe Ruth's record. I recall sitting in the upper deck behind the plate watching that game. No and kidding. one of them hit a homer. I don't remember anything else. Um, I actually found a appreciation of that team. Tony Kubek and I a long time ago did a book called 61, uh, about the 61 Yankees and about Maris and Mantle. And I knew Kubek fairly well back when he was, uh, first he did network broadcasting and he was doing the Blue Jays. And, so uh, a publisher approached me about doing a book in the 61 Yankees. And so I turned to Tony, which was great because he was um, very interested in saying that the story of the Yankees haven't been told in terms of what kind of people those guys were and that. So I really liked talking to a bunch of them. This was right after Roger Maris had died. Now for the book though, Woody Ford and, and, um, uh, Mano would only talk to Tony, but he did a bunch of preliminary interviews. You could probably find it on Amazon or somewhere at 61. It's one of the favorite books I've ever done. Um, even if you hate the Yankees, I think you find that really interesting. Rocky Calavito loved that book. Because, um, of course, it, that was sort of his era, too. Sure. But he said he found a lot about the, uh, what, what things he didn't know. How about this? Part of the year in 61, um, Mantle and Maris were sharing a hotel now excuse me a big apartment comp uh, suite in the bronx and they drove in this cadillac to the park together every day the new york press tried to have a rivalry between them and that but they they actually were, were really big buddies yeah not surprising not surprising but uh all right terry so yeah i'm always interested in kind of baseball card I, I, when i was a kid baseball cards you just kind of threw them at your friends and traded them and mm -hmm. th th this one was apparently 9.5 out of 10 in terms of being mint and uh I don't know. I, I, I'm I always think astounded. Play with them, so yeah, I'm always astounded on that stuff. So yeah, all right. Well, let's talk about some modern day baseball here, Terry. The Guardians, mm -hmm. 67 and 59, getting back from their trip. Uh, they had some trouble scoring runs at some key times. They're still two games up on the Twins in the division. They're five up on the White Sox, and they're taking on the Baltimore Orioles starting tomorrow, which is Tuesday at Progressive Field. And go figure. The Orioles are 67 and 60. Uh, and pe people there have been waiting and waiting for this team, for this young talent to kind of coalesce in Baltimore. And it looks like they're finally doing it. But uh, so the Guardians are off today, Terry, and they really needed that off day coming off the trip. You know, they're always thinking about what adjustments they can make. What do you think they need to be adjusting heading into this week? Well, first of all, when I looked at the Orioles, I have a soft spot for the Orioles because I covered them at 79 with the uh, Baltimore Evening Sun. 
Earl Weaver's manager. And in a lot of ways, they were kind of like the guardians of the last 10 years. They, um, they weren't winning World Series or anything back at that point, but they were in the playoffs all the time. Um, and they, it just seemed like they would never be bad. But they eventually got to be bad, and they were really bad. How about this? In 2021, a year ago, they lost 110 games. Uh, and then in 2019, I skipped a year just because the year the 20 was the COVID system. So they lost – well, their last time, 162 games, 110 losses, 108 losses, 115 losses. And you kind of wonder, will they ever get out of that? Well, they finally did, uh, drafting high in that. So uh, that'll be a real challenge. But whoever thought that a series of Baltimore and Cleveland in late August would mean anything to either team? Because Baltimore is competing for a wild, Scott, a wild card spot. And, um, you know, the Guardians, whether it's first place in division or the wild card. Yeah, and if the Guardians happen to fall out of first place, you're right. It's going to be, I mean, the Guardians being 67 and 59 and Baltimore being 67 and 60. There's only one game separating them in the loss mm-hmm. column. So depending on how the next few weeks go, they might be competing for one of those last spots um, if the Guardians aren't in the division race. So, But, um, Terry, you know, the Guardians had a lot of trouble First and third, nobody out, couldn't get anybody in. They missed a lot of opportunities. Is there anything you would change or tweak in terms of uh, what you're seeing the, from the in, the in the lineup, what the pitchers could be doing, the use of the bullpen? Um, well, or is it just a matter of really, staying the course here? Yeah, they're pitching really well. So uh, that that I don't see any you know big changes there. With the lineup, you're kind of limited. I'm kind of, I'm looking, go, I'm going through it in my mind. By the way, I, I saw this, Zach Mizell had this. Since the All-Star break, uh, people yell, the catchers, the catchers. The catchers are hitting 267 combined. So move them up in the lineup, bat them forth. No, I don't think that's a suggestion, <laughs> but that's, that, that is one thing there that has worked out for them. You know, first base is a problem when, when Owen Milner is there. My guy, who I thought would be a really good hitter, has not become that at all um i still think if they wanted to make another move they could bring up will brennan you know he's always hitting a ton you've been hearing about him forever with me like we heard about oscar gonzalez and i've been on on brennan's uh, uh train for quite a while i'm looking up his stats as we speak and i just think that you could play him in the outfield i just he seems more ready uh than um uh, Benson and some of these other guys. So I'm really hoping that they would look at that. That has to do with 40 Mount Ray and man roster thing, but you're trying to win the other day. Frank kind of did say something interesting when they asked him about Benson and some of the other guys getting at bass. He said, well, you know, things have changed around here. And meaning that you don't just play a guy because you want to see him get some at bass. You want, you're in, you're in first place. September's coming. You never know. You would think you're going to be there again next year because the team's young. But um, so many things go wrong that it's, it's hard to just assume everything indeed will be right. So um, I would really – that's one move I might make. And then you wouldn't have to play straw as much in center. You could you could, you could put Quan in center and, and Brennan in a corner, or Brennan has played some center also. Uh, I would maybe give straw some days off. And I, li- I really like Miles too, but – he just cannot get out of whatever funk he's in. Uh, interesting on him, he has one of the better um, 
is called chase rates. In other words, swinging pitches out of the strike zone doesn't do it very often. He doesn't have a high strikeout rate, but he doesn't hit the ball very hard either. A lot of pop-offs, soft flies, and so that's that's the deal there. Well, but Terry, I, when you see somebody who's struggling like this too, it's in the season it's easy to make a little adjustments with your hands, but when you see a guy struggling like Miles Straw has been, it, it's almost like you wonder if he needs a complete swing rebuild. And yeah, that's you, really hard to do in season, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Or, or what happened to his swing? See, that's the other thing that you go, well, what's going on with him? Um, because he was, you know, he was a 255 career hitter before this. He, he hit well enough that they said, hey, you know, we want him to, uh, I think it's a five-year contract they gave him. So it's really odd. I mean, Will Brennan right now at AAA, he's sitting 308 and 817 uh, OPS. I saw him in spring training last year. I just fell in love with the swing, a nice contact type swing. I think he'll be good. So, Terry, with a team this young, I mean, we're in the middle of, well, the end of August. I mean, it's almost September. Mm-hmm. The youngest team in, in the majors, there's kind of two parts of it. One is just hitting the wall. A lot of these guys, especially with COVID, as you mentioned, didn't have like really long minor league seasons the last couple of years. And the minor league seasons are shorter anyway. So there's kind of the, the hitting the wall or whatever sometimes rookies yeah. call it. There's that. And then there's the pressure of having to compete in September and win a division. Do you think either of those are concerning um, in terms of this team being so young as from what you've seen of, of these guys this year? Well, logically – None of this should be happening. They have one of baseball's lowest payrolls. They have the youngest roster. As far as I could tell, unless I'm missing somebody, they have only two players in, heading into the season who ever made an all-star game. That's Bieber and Ramirez. And if I just were to tell you that, okay, that this team has an average age that's less than the average AAA team, has like the 26th payroll or whatever it is out of 30, and only two guys that have ever made an all-star game in their career, um, what do you think they would do? That sounds to me like 72 and 90 or something like that. Not what it is. So, yes, you could bring up these guys and, and there, but we just have to wait to wait and see if they can continue this. Um, remember, during the season, too, they've had some, like, seven- to ten-day periods where they just didn't hit. They just – they looked – the enthusiasm, everything, the air was out of the balloon – and they seem to be in trouble. And I also think that uh, that's what we saw a little bit in Seattle. Uh, I'm curious to see how they do against Baltimore. I believe they have like of their 36 games, something like, uh, or whatever they have left. I think it's like uh, most of them are at home. I think like uh, two thirds of the games are at home. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, you know, the last two games in Seattle, what five hits, one game, six hits, another. Yeah. And uh, especially toward the end of a trip, it seems like sometimes they run out of gas. Yeah, it's like it's 23 out of, I think believe it's 23 out of the last 35 are at home. And they've been a pretty good home team. All right. Um, Terry, do you want to talk about Bradley Zimmer real quick? You happened to notice before we started Yeah, I just noticed he got picked yeah. up by, uh, by Toronto, uh, waivers from Philly. Uh, he's batting 130. I, I, I don't know why I got kind of surprised by that, but I go, geez, you know, I remember when he was a, a young player and he was, he was an opening day center fielder and he was really going to be a guy that they thought would hit 25 to 35 homers, steal like 30 stolen bases. And he had that kind of talent. He suffered a shoulder injury and 
and just struggled since then. I mean, they, they back-to-back years, they drafted um, outfielders in the first round trying to find some. They drafted Naquin and – I'm sorry, they had three consecutive years. Um, they drafted um, Clinton Frazier, Naquin, and Zimmer, hoping one of them would do something. And, you know, Naquin's been a marginal guy sticking around. Zimmer's been hurt. Uh, Frazier's pr- had problems. But if you turn around with the outfield now – Granite Straw is struggling, but I think you go, you got Quan in left field, and Oscar Gonzalez is still hitting around 300 in right field and plays a pretty good right field. Uh, you're not sitting there going, where are they going to get some other outfitters? You know, G- George Valera is really been, you know, his star is rising. He's out at AAA playing the outfield. I mentioned Will Brennan. Uh, they could fill in with all those different guys because remember, the outfield's been just agonizing for baseball fans here for so long. So I'm anxious to see how that plays out. You know, remember, fans, this isn't the old days where you can call up 40 guys after September 1st. I believe the roster goes from 26 to 28. So, I mean, you can still shuffle your roster, but it's not like you would bring in a whole uh, truckload of guys. Yeah, I miss those days. That was fun. You never know mm-hmm. who you'd see out there in a given day. So Yeah, and sometimes they call up somebody you didn't know why. I mean, in, uh, Jose Ramirez got called up. In 2013, I think he was only 21, uh, and came, I believe, from double A, simply because he could pinch run, and he was thinner, much thinner back then, and play a bunch of positions. All right. Um, hey, last thing I want to talk Guardians, Terry, is you get a lot of emails from fans and about mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And with the team doing so well, there's a lot of people, and we've talked about this, there's a lot of people who rely on baseball to help get them through the summer. Yeah. Some people get help them get through the day. And the way that the Guardians TV deal is set up right now, and this is true a lot of teams nationwide. I know I know the Cubs started their own network. Yeah. Um, and and the, with the Guardians here being on Bally's, I, last week and over the weekend in Seattle, they were on Apple TV one night. Mm-hmm. They were on YouTube TV for free. If you had YouTube TV one day, they had a game on Channel 3. They were, uh, they were on Peacock, Earl, Peacock earlier, too. Whatever right, Peacock but it is. makes me think of back when I was a kid, like the White Sox went on cable in the early 1980s, and the Cubs were on WGN every day, and they had Harry Carey, and people were loving listening to him. And the White Sox like lost an entire generation of fans because of that move, because mm-hmm. nobody could see the games. And I just think about that sometimes when I think about the Guardians and these other teams that are on. I mean, for Bally's, you can't get it unless you have, like, Spectrum and some very select cable yeah, systems. Yeah, like Spectrum, I think. Uh, like, I have Uverse. You can get it. Yeah. And, uh, so is this a missed opportunity for these teams? And, yes, they need the TV money. But what are you hearing from fans, and what are your thoughts on kind of how – the TV deals are set up in major league baseball right and then, now, and is it yeah. is it is it effective to do it this way? And then the other opposite situation to that is I got a uh, letter from a guy that has Spectrum, and I forgot what his cable bill is per month, 150 or a lot. And there was a couple of games he couldn't get, and he goes, "Really, the only reason I got Spectrum and the cable, and the primary reason I have it is is for the games." So, and I didn't realize the other night that it, I forgot which it might have been Apple Time. I don't know. I couldn't find the game. And it just seems to me if you're if you're going to have a, a deal with a cable company like Bally's, then even if the team the game is on YouTube or whatever, it still should be on Bally's because you charge your people for all these games. 
Yeah, you'd think so. And the other thing, Terry, and this is the thing that's really crazy, is that if you give Major League Baseball whatever it is, three hundred bucks or two two something for the whole package, for what is it, MLB extra innings, I believe it's called, mm-hmm. you cannot watch the Guardians games if you live in the Cleveland market. But you can watch even, every other team. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of that. So, so you, you can go. pay for the gold standard of <coughs> MLB video packages, and yep. you can't watch your home market team on that package. I just, I don't get it. I just don't. And I know the Guardians' hands are tied because they've signed this deal and they're making revenue from it, which is helping pay for the team and the players. It's the and, same thing like I was up when I was in the Upper Peninsula with the Valley's Detroit. And it's the same thing going on where the Tiger game was. And, um, Baseball does a lot of stupid stuff, David. I mean, you just get right down to it. They do dumb things. The NFL puts out their schedule, and granted, you won't have as much attention to it, but they're smart enough to know that you don't put out your NFL schedule for the following season. And well, For example, they're not going to put out the 2023 schedule in week 12 of 2022. But baseball just did that. It kind of just floated in on email. And like, oh, they open in Seattle. So why am I looking at this now? Who's going to buy tickets for these games anyway right now? It was, it's just strange how they do those things. Then they turned around and they threw their draft into the middle of the All-Star weekend. Why are you doing that? You want to, you know, put it out separate. I mean, that was one of the few things they had going on, remember, during the COVID year. Um the baseball draft. I wrote more about the baseball draft that year than any other time because nothing much else was happening. But it got a lot of coverage on ESPN and and, and elsewhere. Yeah, and you just wonder if people's kind of with, with the short sighted money part of it, if they're losing a long term benefit here. I don't know. It's well, easy it's just, to say when you're looking at it from stupid, the outside. It David. just doesn't make sense. Some of it. It yeah. doesn't make sense. It's yeah. short sighted and it's stupid and it's not hard to say why are we doing this? Let's fix it. Um, Granted, I know the baseball game will never have the the baseball draft. Excuse me, will never have the sizzle of the other two sports, but it's still your team's drafting these guys. I actually started paying attention to Stephen Kwan because Cleveland drafted him in the fifth round. I forgot what year it was, but Kwan's Oregon State team was in the College World Series, and there was a pitcher they drafted from South Carolina. So I, I jotted down a couple of those guys. And then what I did was um, I kind of spotted when their games were on. I watched, I saw Quan play parts of two games. I, actually, I kind of said, that little guy, you know, he's like I'm, kind of what we saw now. He's on base all the time. He he doesn't swing and miss. I mean, granted, you got to be sort of a hardcore person to do it, but they're out there. But this thing came, they had the draft after the College World Series. Yeah, and the NFL, you're right, Terry. They have like a big thing every month. Every month yeah. they have something, and I think the uh, MLB could learn a lot. So, all right, let's take a break here. We are going to come back. We're going to talk some Browns. You got some people kind of asking you about whether Josh Dobbs should start, and I want you to yeah. kind of talk about that. Uh, and we will also – we got a really interesting Hey Terry question. Somebody, Terry, laid out a trade between the Browns and the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo. And he put a lot of effort into this. It's really interesting. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And we can talk about the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, which has kind of been floating around this week. Uh, So that's a good Hey Terry question. And we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's get into the Browns here. Browns are coming off a 21-20 to loss to the Bears at home the other night to wrap up the preseason. And the big day for cutdowns is tomorrow, Tuesday. They're going to have to be down to 53 players. And a lot of times you'll see guys come back. They'll get cut and re-signed depending right. on kind of what happens. But uh, tomorrow is kind of the, one of the big days to get down to 53. After what you've seen in three preseason games, you, are you worried about this team, Terry, or not so worried? How would you They have made that? these games unwatchable. I don't know what to make of the, the team from watching the preseason games because they just don't want anybody to play. They're always worried about somebody getting hurt. Um, of course, Nick Harris did get hurt I mean, for the whole season. So I saw a little more like when I played the um, Eagles in those practices. I mean, in the end, what you do, you make a whole list of all these players. Is a team with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper. You know, and um, I am worried about the offensive line because I don't know if Cochran and Wills can hold up. But when you look at those guys in your your backfield and Cooper, and I think Najoku's got a chance to maybe look like he might be sort of worth the contract. We'll find out. Um, I'm getting, I'm finally granting him some grace because uh, you know I've been, been down on him. I think Harrison Bryant's going to have a good year. So I like all that. You know, the quarterback questions are there. Defensively, they should be good. I mean, they really should. So how, regardless of how they played, and I, let's put it this way, if Kevin Stefanski comes out in Baltimore, says the first thing we need to do is throw four passes to Anthony Schwartz in the first quarter, maybe he should be fired. <laughs> oh, in the opener against Carolina, yeah. Yeah, so I meant yeah. Yeah, Carolina, not Baltimore. Or even Baltimore, too, as far as that goes. <laughs> I mean, what are you That's doing? Right. And, I, and I get it. It's, it's kind of like you wanted to see if Schwartz can get himself together. But even if you do the, the depth chart right now, Cooper's number one. Uh, Donovan People Jones or Bell are two and three. So this guy's number four. We are talking about the four receiver, fourth receiver on a group that's really not very deep. Now, David Bell, every time I've seen him play, whether it's in practice or then when he finally was in the game the other day, you throw the ball to him, he catches it. That's it. That's a good thing. When I was watching the workouts with where they were playing the Eagles, uh, Brissett was really looking to Cooper and throwing the ball to him, and he catches it. He runs great routes, not good routes, great routes. And I'm quoting a couple of executives who told me that. I'm not good enough to know uh, exactly why they're great versus very good, but they, they both said that. And he's, he's a big guy, creates space. You know, Brissett is he's a game manager, all that, but he can still win a lot of games with this team. I'm not, you know, jumping off the – off of buildings because of how they played in the preseason. Yeah, and, and you've written about this, Terry, but the the team that the fans have been seeing in these preseason games is not the team they're going to see out there. I do wonder, David Bell, you mentioned him, and you know how it is when it's third and six and you need seven yards. Yeah. There's guys that quarterbacks look for, mm-hmm. and there's teams are going to be rolling to Amari Cooper with some help over yep. the top, and I could easily see David Bell becoming like the third down guy that Brissett is always looking for when he needs a big completion on, on, on a play like that. I can mm-hmm. completely see that. 
And let's not let's not just toss uh, Donovan Peoples Jones aside. It's his third year. He was a sixth round pick. Let's see what he does this year. Remember, we were all excited about him, but this time last year because he had a big, tra- uh, big training camp. But you know, I like him. I think he's got a chance to be pretty good. But I like to see him get another veteran receiver, sure. But I, it's not something that I'm just agonizing over because I want to see the ball going to Hunt, going to Chubb. You could you could throw them some passes, that kind of thing to to generate the offense. The tough thing will be if this team gets down ten nothing or whatever right away. Can Brissett bring them back? And that could be a difficult situation. All right. And Terry, the other day you were writing about um, talking about the Browns a little bit with yourself. And you kind of asked yourself, and you've been hearing this from some fans, that people have seen a lot of Joshua Dobbs. And he looks good because he's been getting a lot of time and playing against second and third stringers. And you're saying don't even think about starting him is is kind of where you're at with it, right? Yes. I – I mean, Jacoby Brissett didn't do anything to lose the job. He didn't go out there. The interception, whether it's because uh, Schwartz ran the wrong route and got knocked off it, or he just got knocked off it and there was no flag, uh, but that wasn't his fault. I don't think it was uh, Brissett's idea to throw six of his 23 passes to Schwartz. But think about Brissett. Generally, he's going to follow the game plan. And he's going to look at his main option or two, and then uh, that's where the ball's going to go. Meanwhile, when Dobbs comes in, it's kind of backyard football. Let's have it. He could run all over the place. Uh, nobody's really preparing for him and his athleticism. But I will say this, David, he's a lot better than I thought he was. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And just the, the yeah. command he comes in with, I mean, it's his yes. first year here. And it, a lot of times when it's a new offense, it takes a while. But he just looks like he's known it his whole life and just jumped right in from day one. Well, I guess the Steelers, you know, they don't mess around over there. It's pretty, it's pretty good training. And on top of it, the guy's a four, four point oh in aeronautical engineering. He did uh, intern at NASA. Now, to be keep it in some context, the Steelers took him, I believe, in the fourth round, and they had him for a few years, and then they traded him to Jacksonville in two thousand and nineteen. Uh, Jacksonville. Give a fifth-round pick for him. Never put him in a game. He ended up going back to Pittsburgh. They claimed him on waivers. They kept him there for a couple more years, and then he came here. So he's been out there periodically where teams could get him. And I was told that it's one of those guys, you, you kind of lock him into the pocket some, and you'll have trouble you know, throwing the ball downfield and that. But in terms of emergency, put him in the game, and he comes in, he's running all over the place like that, uh, that could have a real impact. And clearly smart. Yeah, and I do wonder, you know, if the Browns are kind of stuck in the mud on offense, if they might throw Dobbs out there for a series or two just to shake things up a little bit and give a defense a different look. I think he could have a pretty valuable role doing something like that. Oh, yeah, and they could they could put him in the Wildcat, which is out of vogue now. Uh, remember in the past they had some of the quarterbacks that were athletic and they would uh, split them out and do all kinds of things. I got an interesting email, which is the basis of uh, the, the Hey Terry that's going to come out uh, online tomorrow morning and then in Wednesday's paper. And I'm going to ask you the question, David. Uh, the reader said, what do you think Kevin Stefanski learned from last year? That is a really good question. And I, I think just from what I've seen this year with all the team building stuff they've done, 
and some of the fun things that he's done in the film room, kind of changing the pace up a little bit. I think he's learned that team unity is really important. And I think he realizes that part of his job is to make sure that that happens instead of leaving it to the players and hoping that the culture happens. I think that off the field thing, I think really stuck with him. And I think the other part of it is that they have to pass the ball better. And you've written about this. I think those are the two things that I have seen that have changed a little bit from last year. What do you think? Well, what I'm hoping they learn is number one, if you have a quarterback who's hurt and he's playing like he's hurt, even if the medical team says play him, don't play him, go to the other guy. So for example, if Brissett were to hurt his knee or something and his edge was gone, don't just lose your whole season being stubborn that way. Uh, secondly, he, he wants to have this passing game, but you have this dynamic running game and I, hope that he's learning ways to get the ball in the the, uh, running back's hands more often as opposed to just handoffs, you know, the short passes or uh, flips with uh, the old-fashioned sweeps, that kind of stuff. And and I'm hoping, too, that uh, Stefanski just – look, his press conferences are never going to be any good. But if he keeps coming out every week and saying, well, that's all on me, that's all on me, well, the fans are going to go, better believe it is. <laughs> right. I mean, when you want to, there are times when it's wise for a coach to um, say, blame me. But when you do it so often, I think it creates a negative vibe. You know, players start to think, well, if this guy says it's on him and it's messed up, then uh, don't blame me. You know, a lot of times they think they're protecting the players. And that doesn't mean you criticize them, but falling on your sword for no reason which I sense he did last year. I just saw stubbornness last year. One was the stubbornness to stay with Baker. Two is the stubbornness to throw the ball at times. when you, If you're going to have a quarterback like that, then you're going to have to run it more. You know, Defensively, we can't really talk about much about it because that's all Joe Woods' department. Now that unit has to be – for them to really be in position whenever Watson comes back, I think that's got to be a top five to top seven unit. Um, we'll see if they can do that. Yeah, and I think stubbornness is an interesting word choice, Terry. Yeah. I mean, they ran three tight ends, 13 personnel, mm-hmm. way, way, way more than anybody else in the entire NFL last year. And Kevin Stefanski's like, this is what I do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to run 13. We're going to run the ball. And I think you're right. The stubbornness maybe is not as big of a thing as it was last year. I think he's a little bit more flexible. And they only have th- three tight ends on the roster. I mean, so they ran all these tight end stuff, but they didn't throw the ball to tight ends. It was just, it was very strange. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this year we're probably going to see them running more out of two tight ends, one tight end, maybe some mm. more spread, spread guys out a little bit and, and, and run with not a stacked line like you did last year, an eight man box. I mean, how many eight man boxes did they try to run against and last Kareem year? Hunt's a lot. A dynam- David, you know, Kareem Hunt's a dynamic weapon that has been underused here. And not just in terms of handing him the ball, but his ability as a receiver. Actually, close to the goal line. I love Nick Chubb. I'd rather give it to Hunt. He seems to. Have well, let's see. There's going to be some. There's going to be some really interesting choices here. As it, when they get down on the goal line, sometimes you'll see Chubb mm-hmm. get them all the way down, and Kareem comes in. Um, but yeah, who gets those carries and how they how they get the ball into the end zone is going to be really the, interesting. The rule against see. them playing together uh, has to be taken off the books right now. They don't maybe have to be in the backfield together, but if you have Hunt in the slot or even you split him out and you got Chubb back there, 
I mean, the, the fakes you can run, the things like that. Um, that's what these guys are paid to do, come up with that stuff. I mean, how would you like to be some of these other teams? It's like we have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and, boy, these guys are really good, but I can't quite figure out how to get the most out of them as opposed to these other teams that have these running backs you've never heard of. And I mean, just, just get it done. Yep, find a way. So, all right, real quick, Terry, before we move on, Cade York, who is <laughs> – you know how much Browns fans love their kickers. He made, I love kickers. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. He made field goals against the Bears the other night from 57 yards, and he made one from 46. He missed from 58, and he actually made a 70-yard field goal in warm-ups. I know it's just warm-ups, but on a scale of 1 to 10, real fast, how excited are you about Cade York, and do you think should should people be excited or not? Well, they made a big investment in him for a kicker fourth round. People act like three points are zero. It reminds me a little bit of the thinking in the NBA where you either shoot a three-pointer or forget it, or you either score a touchdown or forget it. Three points are three points. Baltimore, by the way, has proved that over the years with Justin Tucker. How many games has this guy won for that team, including not only against Cleveland but others? In terms of lake strength and that, he has – the Tucker raw tools. Now we will find out as the weather changes, the pressure comes up, how he handles all those things like Phil Dawson did, but he's got a stronger leg than Phil Dawson. But this is the first time I've seen a kicker since Phil that I'm excited about. And I've always been big on uh, in the, the NBA line. I hate, well, three points are better than two, but guess what? Two points are better than none. <laughs> and it's the same thing in football. Well, seven points are better than three. By the way, three are better than none. And I think it also, even if the offense stalls, when you do kick the field goal, you sort of give your team a lift of, okay, they got three points. Now, I remember Romeo Cornell a couple of times would be down like 21 to, to, uh, to three, and it's the middle of the fourth quarter, and, you know, it's third and th- fourth and three and and he, and he kicks the field goal no not then you need touchdowns then all right so people should be excited and uh, boy yeah. i can't remember i can't remember a browns kicker ever having the leg to do a 70 yard or so it'll be, no, it'll be and, fun. and the fact is we're spoiled here because whether you go matt Barr or you know lou gross or don cockroft uh, dawson you haven't had to go through all that like they did the last seven years uh with, with trying to find a kicker by the way, I keep getting, will Phil Dawson come up? Phil Dawson is coaching a high school team in uh, Austin, Texas, which is like coaching a pro team. Remember that. This is big-time Texas football. Yeah, so he's got his hands full. He's got his hands full. I'm sure you'll – I know he's talked once to Cade York on the phone, and probably there's no reason to talk now until the weather gets funky where Cade can really see what uh, Dawson and the Browns fans are talking about. All right. Let's get into the Hey Terry segment of the show here, Terry. This one is from Thomas Shaw. And Thomas, you sure put a lot of thought into this, and we, we really appreciate it. I'm just going to kind of read the highlights of what you got here. He says, please forward this to Coach Stefanski <laughs> and Andrew Barry ASAP. Browns trade Kareem Hunt to the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo and Jamichael Hasty, running back. He says, simply put, the Browns cannot tank the year given they have no first-round pick in 2023. Jimmy Garoppolo, we're on the Browns right now. Who would be the starter week one, Brissett or Garoppolo? Garoppolo would be. Brissett has never won anywhere he's gone. Might get you to six six and six at best to week 13. 
Garoppolo has won everywhere he's gone. He gets you two more wins and two less losses than Brissett at the very least. And he did a big chart, Terry. He's got he broke down Jacoby Brissett's win loss record versus Garoppolo. Brissett is 14 and 23 as a starter. Jimmy Garoppolo, he's got 33 and 14. Completion percentage, 60.2 for Brissett, 67.7 for Garoppolo. Uh, quarterback rating, 83 for Brissett, 98.9 for Garoppolo. And postseason appearances, none for Jacoby Brissett and Garoppolo. Of course, two NFC Championship games and one Super Bowl in three years. Uh, he says that they should get Garoppolo, Hasty, and a third-round pick, and the 49ers get Kareem Hunt, and the Browns take on $18 million in salary, and they would lose $6 million, so it would cost them basically 11 or $12 million. So there's a lot there, and I don't know that we've ever really gotten deep into the Garoppolo thing here, but where do you stand on that, and is this a good trade? Uh couple of things going on. If I were to make that trade, I would have probably wanted to do it at the starting training camp. Number two, how is Garoppolo's shoulder? The operation that he had was on his throwing shoulder. I thought it was significant that Kyle Shanahan mentioned that, you know, we've had him here five years is exact quote. He's only finished two of them. Now we're, we're really talking and filling in 11 games. If the Browns did that, I would be fine with it. I'm not sure how much of an upgrade he would be. I know statistically it looks good, but this is the old supporting cast versus, in a lot of ways, football is like uh, restaurants and location. You know, you put, you put up a pretty decent restaurant and a great location becomes a great restaurant. You could have a, they have serve up really good food, but you can't find it. It's kind of like a quarterback who was told to throw to Anthony Schwartz all the time. Um, <laughs> or or this, there isn't much talent. You can't, it's hard to judge them, but they, unless things have changed in the last week, but the conversations I had a week ago, they just were not going to go down that road and they would rather play with Brissett and hunt than trade hunt. Now hunt would be really good in San Francisco. That that's a running run based offense. But if they turn around, change their mind and did that, I'm okay with that. That's a good, who, who did that? What's his name again? Yeah, Terry, his name is Thomas Shaw, and he sent that in via email. And speaking of which, if you want to send us an email, we'll try and get it on the podcast. You can send it to sports at cleveland.com and just put Terry's talking in the subject line. So, so here's my thing, Terry. If Jimmy Garoppolo is so good, why aren't the 49ers starting him, number yeah. one? And letting him go for a guy who's unproven that they drafted mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I mean, how many years did Aaron Rodgers wait behind Brett Favre before he took over? And here Garoppolo is so good that they're going to shove him out and put Trey Lance in there, like after one season on the bench, basically? It just well, doesn't were... make any sense. And the 49ers know what they're doing. Yeah, they do. It, it, that's why I said if the Browns want to go and do that, fine. Um because you, you haven't hurt your quarter, you don't hurt your quarterback situation by bringing in Garoppolo. You don't, because you can always go to Brissett anyway or whatever you want to do. It's a, they're all on one-year contracts. But to your point and the point that I mentioned, I think they just feel that this guy just gets hurt and they're tired of it. And on top of it, he's not a big, he's a game manager also. Now there were some reports that came out. Um, I forgot where I'm not. I think I remember the source, but I'm not going to mention it's not positive that he wasn't as hard a worker as people think. Which may or may not be true. Yeah. May or may not be true, but it's interesting that that came out. And well, 
but it, in terms of to your point, here's a guy with a 33 and 14 record and completes 67% of his passes, and he's still sitting there. Yeah, I mean, there's if you watch the 49ers, Terry, their offensive line is amazing. Yes. And they've got Debo, and they've got Kittle, and they run the ball. And it's it's a lot of misdirection and handoffs and short mm-hmm. dump-offs. And Jimmy Garoppolo is not firing the ball into windows 25 yards up the field yeah. to guys who are it, tightly covered. It's just not It's just not what he does and can do. If you view him as a slight upgrade over Brissett, and now I, I don't have to worry about a backup quarterback, even if Jimmy G gets hurt, I got Brissett. Uh, fine. If you view him as he's going to come in and go 8-3, and three, you're probably um, overly optimistic given that he would have no training camp and whatever his shoulder situation is. Cause like he's working out with the 49ers, but he's not in like real practices with the 49ers. It's kind of, he's allowed to use the facility. He's a man without a country right now. Um, 24 million on the cap. See that what the Browns want to do. Yes. They can afford this year to add Jimmy G and all that, I think they're 48 million under. They want to roll most of that into next year because right now, next year on the cap, they're like 28 million over. So that's why they're reluctant to do that. I mean, this is all, you know, if, if John, the old thing, if Deshaun Watson plays great, it's all worth it. But you're seeing all the different prices you've paid for Deshaun Watson, whether it's what hits your salary cap starting in 2023, whether it's how to handle an 11 game suspension. Uh, whether it's all the uh, negative publicity. I mean, there's a lot of stuff swirling around because of that move. And that's why for it to really work, all the draft picks that you don't have, this thing better pay off big. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing you got to think about, Terry, you talk about the seller cap. I mean, with, not that the Browns have dipped their toe into big free agents recently, but if Roquan Smith from the Bears is available as a free mm-hmm. agent or restricted free agent, and you can't, find the cap space because you signed Jimmy Garoppolo, that, that hurts. Like that's the kind of move that would, and again, I'm just pulling that out of thin air, but right. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, that where the salary cap does matter and during yes. the off season. So. Cause people are, people are stuck in the salary cap for this year. We're not looking at next year and we're not realizing they want to roll most, if not all, whatever they have left, whether it's 48 million or 40, they want to roll that in the next year to create a whole bunch of breathing room. Because also that's when Miles Garrett's contract really kicks in and a couple others. Denzel a Ward, really good yeah. site to look at this is overthecap.com. People love that sports sports tack or whatever site. Spotrack, not, yep. Yeah, I'm not nearly as high on that as I am on over the cap for football. For baseball, I like Cots Contracts, or which is baseball perspective, or Fangrass, which is very good uh, too, either one of those. All right. So over the cap should call us and be a sponsor of next week's podcast, Terry. We'll, well give they, a nice plug there. <laughs> but it's, when I hear questions like this, it's like that's that's where the information is. Yeah, yeah. All right, Terry, we got one more question. This one's about the Guardians. He's, and he says, um, this one is from Caleb Mackey from Columbus. He says, hey, Terry, my wife and I were watching the Guardians play San Diego with Clevenger pitching the other night. My wife commented that it's probably not that big of a deal for Clevenger to pitch against the Guardians because he he wouldn't know many of the batters that he was facing. I thought that there was no way that could be true till I looked up the 2020 roster, excluding pitchers. Wow. The Guardians have completely overhauled their roster. It's remarkable. Jose Ramirez is the only batter left standing from that 2020 opening day roster. 
maybe it doesn't feel like such an overhaul because there's so many starting pitchers that remained and they've overhauled the roster largely by bringing up familiar players from the minor leagues. Uh, but Caleb says it's just another reason to praise the front office for the culture they've built, that they've been able to turn this over in such a short amount of time. That really is something, isn't it? Yeah, and then when you look at some days, the starting lineup, you know, Hedges came in that trade, Naylor came in that trade, Miller came in that trade. There's three of them there. And if you're starting like they did with Quantrill on the mound, there's four guys there that came in that trade. And uh, Joey Cantillo, who's a double-A Akron, and they're very excited about too, he was part of that trade. But that is amazing. It's just like right now, I believe we mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to just underline it again. There's only two guys that, that I know of on the Guardians roster that made an all-star team, um, which is Jose and Bieber, before Classe and uh, uh, Jimenez. They should. Jimenez, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Caleb. A really interesting point you made there. And uh, there we go. So again, if you want to get a question to us for next week's podcast, sports at cleveland.com, just email us. Or you can find Terry on Facebook and send him something there. We'll try and get it on next week's podcast. So that is going to do it, Terry. I think we're all set. Well, I appreciate it. It was great to, it was great to get back doing it. And those are two top flight questions, by the way. Absolutely. And thanks, everybody, for listening and for all the questions. We really enjoy uh, hearing from you. And so be sure to send us your thoughts. Uh, and we're taping a little early this week. Terry is going to be out in the middle of this week. So this is kind of a rare Monday thing, but we'll be at back at it next week. And thanks again for listening to Terry's Pocket.